Lord, your word says that forever your word is settled in heaven. Your word says that we understand that by the word of the Lord, the worlds were created so that the things that are seen were created by the things that are unseen. Your word also says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us in the person of Christ. And the Hebrews writer declares again that it is Christ through his word that upholds all things. And so I ask that your word would thunder from this pulpit today in such a way that it would grip our hearts, that we would understand the gravity uh, of it, and that we would welcome it gladly to be the final word we choose to listen to till our last breath and I pray this Lord in your name for your glory and for the joy of your people Amen how was your Thanksgiving? Yeah. Was it good? did you overeat? yeah I overeat <laughs> yes Thanksgiving and overeating I've titled this message, How a Disciplined Soul Develops in Life, The Necessity of Scripture for Jesus' Followers. And it occurred to me quite a, quite a while ago that each and every one of us choose ultimately what word we will listen to in our lives, whether it's the word of our parents, the word of, our, uh, of a boss, or the word of a coach, the word of a significant other. We choose ultimately who we will listen to. That is one of the gifts that we have being created in God's image is the ability to choose. And our choices are not an illusion. They're real. And that's why they're significant. And they are our choices. Now having said that, over 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to uh, his uh, protege, to Timothy. And in this letter, actually he wrote three letters, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. But in these letters, these letters are known as the pastoral epistles, the pastoral letters. And so Paul is giving a final charge, a final word to Timothy before he essentially gets his head cut off. And... I think it's important to understand the gravity of what Paul was trying to do, of what Paul was saying then, and of what Paul is saying to you and me today if we are children of God. The fact of the matter is this. If today were the last message you ever heard from me, and I were to drop dead after this sermon, Lord, have mercy on me, if that were the case... This is definitely the most important word I can bring to you as a believer and as a skeptic who is searching. And so I want to read in 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. And we're going to go through verses 1 through 17. I'm going to specifically deal with verses 16 through 17, but I want to read the context. But realize this, that in the last days difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, Conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Avoid such men as these, for among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women weighed down with sins led on by various impulses, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth. Men of depraved mind, rejected in regard to the faith. But they will not make further progress, for their folly will be obvious to all, just as Janus's and Jambres's folly was also. 
Now you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings, such as happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra. What persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And what we have here is Paul, in light of difficult times, in light of false teaching, he's admonishing Timothy to be continuously faithful to him and the gospel through the agency of the scripture in all of life. And what we're going to see today is that scripture is the necessary means God has chosen to form a people that reflect His character and His nature. And it's not that other literature may not be helpful. It's just that in the instruction of godliness and righteousness, there is none that can compare. So, the disciplined soul develops in life through the Word of God. Verse 16 says, All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. First of all, all scripture is inspired by God. This has to do with that which is written, that which is scratched into stone, that which is authoritative. When something is authoritative, it is that which has the rightful power and stuff to tell us what to do and why to do it. When it's talking about all scripture, it's particularly dealing with the Old Testament scriptures. However, I want to argue very little bit that it's not just the Old Testament scriptures, but one thing that we can see from the New Testament is that unlike a lot of scholars which say, did Paul really know he was writing scripture? Did Peter really know he was writing scripture? I would say, yeah, they knew. Let me tell you just a, a, a few things that they knew. They knew that the Lord Jesus, who them being monotheistic Jews were calling him Lord. They knew that he rose from the dead. They were on the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you. They understood that Jesus was God incarnate. And that he was the final word of God. And that they were chosen by him specifically to get his word out to the nations. They knew that what they had was different than what the Old Testament prophets had. They understood that they were speaking the Word of God. One of uh, example is Second Peter chapter 2, where Peter is saying, you know, there's a lot of people that pervert the Scriptures to their own destruction. Talking about Paul's writings that are hard to, they're hard to understand at times, but they pervert his writings just like they do the other Scriptures as well. Anyway, that's all I'm going to give to you right there. But as far as what is authoritative, my charismatic brothers and sisters, it is not your personal experience with God. It is not you having an amazing experience of fasting and prayer, and all of a sudden God shows you something, and He can. That is not final in your life. God's written word is according to God's spokesman. Are we clear on that? Right on. 
So when the word says here that it is inspired by God, it has to do that it is breathed out of the mouth of God. Now we know that God is spirit, so God doesn't have a physical mouth. The point being is this, is that God is the source of this word which is written. And if somebody were to tell you, well, I know that God doesn't write any books, it's like, well, you're not, you're not thinking clearly here. If you're t- meaning by God, the God of Scripture, if you're telling me that that God who is self-existent, all-powerful, all-wise, all-knowing, doesn't have the ability to get a puny, finite creature like you and me to do what he wants, like write down what he is saying, if you're saying that he can't do that, I don't know what to tell you. It is an incoherent statement in light of the Christian worldview. So, these words originate from God. They do not originate from the spokesman. And this happens through God the Holy Spirit. Now, the early church did not dispute this. When we're talking about all Scripture, I've already talked, I've already said, it's, it's dealing with all of Scripture coupled with its character of being sourced in God. Now Paul is declaring to us that it is profitable for us. It is good. It is authoritative to command you and me in how to think and therefore how to live. Why? Because it sources in God. And whenever we're dealing with a religious text, the number one question is, from where is its source? Now, I'm not going to be anachronistic. For example, Paul is saying here that the scriptures, the Jewish scriptures, specifically, Old Testament, New Testament, are profitable. He's not saying the Koran is profitable. I know the Koran was written later. He's not saying that the Book of Mormon is profitable. I know it was written later. I get that. And he's not saying that the Bhagavad Gita or the writings of Confucius or the writings of Buddha, okay, he is, and, I, and you know, did he know that they existed or not? That's irrelevant. It's irrelevant. Why? Because what this is saying is that the source of this text, the source of these words are coming from the God that is self-existent and only one God who has revealed himself, both creator and sustainer of all things. That's the claim. We are all impressionable. And the older you get, the less impressionable you get, unfortunately, sometimes, depending on the situation. But we're all impressionable. We tend to look to certain people that we admire. And usually we admire them for the accomplishments that they uh, um, realize, which which is fine. If you're an MMA guy and you like... Uh, uh, amazing amazing, uh, uh, um, uh, martial art artists then you watch a UFC and you watch some of these guys and what they put their bodies through and and how skilled they are at the art of fighting and you're just going that is amazing because most of us don't put ourselves through that most of us can only dream of doing what these guys are doing or these women are doing the women are doing it too they're amazing they're amazing athletes We are inspired by them. And some of us may take our cues on how to live by them because we think they are worthy to be emulated. Well, well, Paul is, he's leveling the playing field here. There is one word that ought to be looked at. There is one word that must be considered because of whose word it is. Now he says this, that all Scripture is breathed out from God, and he says, and profitable. Now, when you hear the word profitable, you should be hearing ka-ching, 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 right? In, in a sense. It is valuable, right? Ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching. That stands for money, in case you don't understand what I'm trying to communicate. It is profitable. You know what that means? That means that it is not just theoretical, it is actually practical. The Word of God, there are places in the Word of God that are very difficult to understand. 
How can Jesus be fully man and fully God? That's difficult. That's probably the most difficult conundrum we will, we will consider throughout the eons. Not free will. Not God's sovereignty. The nature and person of Christ. And so you start thinking about these things and you're going, wow. Well, the word of God, it says that it is profitable. It is practical. This term is only confined in the New Testament and it is only found in the pastoral epistles. Now I'm going to kind of go away from my notes a little bit. Not much. I know a lot of church leaders don't believe this. I know it because I had to have conflicts with them with the way they dealt with the text. Actually, with the way they ignored the text with the way they did not make themselves skilled with the text. It was not important to them because they didn't understand this. They didn't have ears to hear. And I pray we have ears to hear that if there's anything you need to know as a leader in the church, it is this book not Reformed theology, not Arminian theology, not natural theology, those things have their place, great. But if there's anything that you need to make sure you are an expert in, it is in the Word of God. Those things help, but they're not final. They help, but they're not final. First Peter 1, verses 22 to 25, says something about the practicality of the Word of God. Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart, for you've been born again not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring Word of God. God. God's word brought you and I who are born again to life. You think that's practical? You think that's supernatural? It is. It is utterly supernatural. And he says, all flesh, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off. But the word of the Lord endures forever, and this is the word which was preached to you. This word, like I said earlier, has the power to uphold that which exists. Hebrews 1 through 3 says this God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And He is the radiance of His glory and the exact representation of His nature and upholds all things by the word of His power. This word has the power to restore that which was previously damaged. Psalm 107, 19 and 20, speaking of rebellious Israel, says, Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He saved them out of their distresses. He sent His Word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. You want to talk about practicality? Not just theory? Has the power to restore. Now Paul gets really specific concerning what this prophet is, what its usefulness, what it looks like. And it's for four things. It's for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness. First of all, and as I pointed out, it's not merely theoretical, it's practical. Now first of all, it's practical for teaching in righteousness. Now in the pastoral epistles, when it's talking about that it is profitable for teaching, it emphasizes Christian teaching, apostolic teaching. Remember, uh, Jesus told his disciples, who became the apostles, in Matthew 28, 18-20, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go into all the nations, 
or go into all the world and preach the gospel, making disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have shown you, said, and I'm with you always till the end of the age. There's a core teaching of what it means to be a Christian and what it means not to be a Christian. And we do real well to pay attention to the things that the apostles taught. Now, what are some of the things the apostles taught that were very core? Well, first of all, they taught that Jesus was no mere man. They taught that God, who had previously said something through the Old Testament prophets, fulfilled it in His Son. They taught that Jesus Christ was the Lamb of God who would come to take away the sin of the world. They taught that through His life, death, and resurrection, now previous enemies can be friends of God. They taught that there is coming judgment, and therefore the the urgency to get the word out was seen in their writings and in their lives. They demonstrated a tremendous rawness of what it means to be human within body life. Read the book of Acts. Look at the conflict the church had. It began in the beginning. I mean, conflict in the church is nothing new. It's not going to end until the new heaven and the new earth. The people wrestling with, you know, what has God said? Are we being consistent with what God has said? So, this teaching emphasizes apostolic or Christian teaching as a whole. Now, this teaching, there's a content to it. And it is seen as sound teaching. That means that it's whole. It's not perverted. It's not twisted. It's also, Paul sees it as my teaching. It's also referred to as that which is faithful and sound teaching. These are the adjectives Paul uses in the uh, pastoral epistles referring to the content of Christian teaching. And it is true teaching rather than false teaching. Again, he's writing to Timothy and he's saying, man, become a skilled craftsman uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3 if you're going to be an elder you need to be skilled both with the word and with your life you need to become a skilled craftsman with the word of life you can never run out of things to teach you can never run out of things to teach ever So it's profitable, it's practical for what? For teaching. It's also practical for reproof. In a culture that worships its feelings above reason, uh, in a culture, and in really a, a, lot of, a lot of church uh, uh, has been uh, affected by this, um, people are completely and totally governed by their emotions. You know, the other day, it was last night, my, my nephew asked me, what's been the hardest thing, if you would say, what's been the hardest thing for you in your life as far as area of growth? And I go, that's easy. Me controlling my emotions. Me controlling my passions. If, if there were one thing that I know, man, God is continuously working on with me, is that. And I know he's controlled and has helped me with, with my passions and with my emotions because there have been a lot of times I felt like doing things I did not do and it's a great thing I didn't do it. Yeah. It's a great thing. And I'm sure you can relate as well in here. That you just said, nah, I better not go that way. I feel like doing this, but I'm not going to. Why? There's something that's, that's pulling you back. And if you're a believer, that's the Spirit of God. That's the truth of Christ through the word, doing its work in you. So reproof has to do with refuting error uh, and rebuking sin. And here now our feelings are really going to get hurt. 
That is, we prove someone false in their position that is contrary to Scripture. You can't do that unless you're sticking your nose in this. Tim, the leader can't do it, and neither can you or I. And I, don't, I think this is specifically talking to believers, uh, uh, leaders, but more generally, it is definitely talking to every believer because we are all called by God in our sphere of influence to be salt and light, to make disciples of those that are around us, however He has chosen to use us, with the gifts that He's given to us. That's the call every one of us in here that are believers have. And so you cannot say, well, I'm, I'm not a church leader. Well, too bad. Let me tell you something. If you are Christ's, you've been enlisted in the army of the Lord. You've been enlisted to wrestle and to struggle with that which hates God. And you're not going to be able to do that without the Word of God and the power of God through the Spirit. So you prove someone false in their position or you criticize one for their sin. That's what, re, that's what reproof is. So I think he's talking here about the scalpel of Scripture in action. I think he's talking about not you and I being the source of not liking how somebody maybe talks to us or they do something. But where we come and say, you know, you're saying this and you're living this way, but how do you make sense out of what Paul is saying? How do you, how do you make sense out of what Matthew is talking about? How do you make sense out of what the prophets reveal? In other words, you need to be very, very careful that you don't run with this and think you're a gospel cop. You know what I mean by a gospel cop? A gospel cop, it's, it's derogatory. A gospel cop is somebody who makes it their goal in life to uh, correct every single human being that has either wrong doctrine or wrong living and, and is completely and totally out of touch with that person's humanity, their background, where they're coming from, etc. There, there's a sense of stupidity that goes with gospel cops. Okay? They don't have to be stupid, but there's a tendency to be stupid in dealing with other human beings. There's actually a tendency of not doing what Matthew 7 verses 1 through I think 4 or 6 talk about. You know, you, you see the, 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 the little speck in your brother's eye, take out the plank in your own eye first so that you will be able to see and actually able to help. So there is a way to approach one another. But there, there must be that self-examination first, all the time, always knowing, you know, it could be me. Sounds painful, doesn't it? When was the last time you let somebody tell you something you didn't want to hear and you knew they were right? You don't have to raise your hand. When was the last time you welcomed it? When was the last time I welcomed it? When was the last time I was like, man, Lord, thank you so much for that. It hurt, but I needed it. Thank you. You know, if you were to say, well, how, how, can, I, how can I thank God? I mean, who loves that? Well, your flesh doesn't love it. The part that hates God doesn't like it. But the part that's born again, the part that says yes to the kingdom of God, says, hallelujah. We're growing. We're growing. We're not stagnant. So the Word of God is profitable. It is useful. For teaching, for reproof, for correction. Now this word correction has to do with setting something right. Restoring it, improving it. And what's interesting about being corrected, it gets us in touch with how much we don't know. I want you to understand this about the Christian religion, if we're going to call it a religion, the Christian tradition. The Christian tradition is a knowledge tradition. First and foremost, what that means is, what it does not mean is that we just take things on faith if they are obviously contradictory, but I just believe it. No, we do not do that. The God of the Scriptures doesn't give us license to do that. 
one of the things that's very, very evident to us is this, is that the God of Scripture is the self-existent, all-powerful, all-wise, all-knowing, all-good God. We are not. We're the creature. We are needy. And in one of the areas we are needy in is in our knowledge. So never stop growing in your knowledge. You never know enough. You may think you do. And once you think you know enough, you, you start stagnating. Because the fact is you don't. There is so much to coming to know God and learning to walk with Him and learning to walk with His people. You never become an expert. And that should encourage you to just walk humbly. It should encourage me to walk humbly. Not think that I'm better than anybody else. In the ancient world, in the ancient literature, this word was used uh, to the restoring of a, a sanctuary or even the rebuilding of a city. I mean, I think of Jerusalem. How many times has Jerusalem, you know, in the past been sacked and rebuilt? We think of Nehemiah, where he's rebuilding the walls. It's that kind of a uh, issue. Now, it's the redressing of errors or it's the redressing of ignorance. And really what it comes down to is this. It's not only correction... But it's also correctness. It's, it's conformity to a rule. It has to do with exactness and even perfection in conduct. For those of you that do not appreciate detail-oriented people, remember that God, there's nobody more detail-oriented than God. And for those of you who think that it's not really important to get something right, and to be crystal clear, this word would say to you, you're wrong. Why is that important practically? Why is that important practically? Let's think about this for a second. One of the things that's probably difficult for most of us in here, I know it is for me, is being told what to do without given reasons. Can anybody relate to that? Yeah. For example, when we were kids, our parents said, you know, clean up your room. You know, and you're a little kid, okay, I'll do it. But then you start getting a little older and you start pushing back and going, why? And if you have reasons for your stubborn kids... Like, well, this is part of what it's, uh, this is part of your training so that you know how to govern your own life that you are going to have when you're gone from the house. That's one reason it's a good thing for you to clean your room. Another reason is uh, it helps you not think just about yourself. Your dad or your mom don't like it that it's dirty and you're in their house. What's the big deal? When was the last time you paid the bills or, you know, fed yourself over? Who's been taking care of you, man? Right? Think about it. That's a second reason. Uh, let, let me see. What would a third reason be? Anybody got a third reason? No? I told you so. Well, that's not what I'm trying to communicate here. <laughs> it's unsanitary. You want to honor your parents. You know, I never used that. But there's nothing wrong with that. I didn't want to use that. I didn't want my kids to think I was manipulating and strong-arming them. No, really. And Although that's true. You want to honor your parents. and that's, that's another way you can honor your parents. So there's probably a whole lot of other reasons you can give to clean your room. Okay? Other than it stinks. You know? And, and, and we want you know, uh, people in society that actually have something to, to give to it instead of always taking from it. So you want reasons. You want reasons. Why? Because now you're growing up. Now you're growing up. So, the Word of God is practical for teaching, for reproof, for correction. And then it says, for training in righteousness. For training in righteousness. This has to do with the instruction, which teaching provides, right? It's also discipline, which correction and reproof 
also offer. But there's more here. There's more here. And here's what a good parent will do. They will not think short term. They're going to think long term. They're not going to think a tree. They're going to think an orchard when it comes to their children. They're not going to think, I will see it. They're going to think, I will never see the fruit. That's what a good parent will do if they're training their children to really uh, be upright. Well, here it has the idea of fathering a child. Rearing a child. Disciplining a child. It's not short-sighted. It's not short-sighted. This talks about habits. This training talks about habits. Habits that over a long period of time will make it possible to reach a goal in the future. Always has a future in mind. And it's not always pleasurable. It just isn't. But like anything else, it yields the fruit of love, which is obedience. It's obedience. And this obedience is not just any obedience. It's obedience and righteousness. I don't want my kids to obey me if I'm wrong. In fact, I I discourage that throughout their whole life. If I'm leading you astray, if I'm going away from this word of God, you better rebel against me. You better disobey. When was the last time you told that to your kids? Well, if you haven't, start. Really? Because what you're teaching there is that you're not the final authority. God is. His word is. So this, again, is in righteousness which has to do with a moral uprightness that moves, motivates, compels the trajectory of our, of our whole life. It's what the kingdom of God produces in the poor in spirit. It's what the kingdom of God produces in those who mourn. It's what the kingdom of God produces in those who are gentle. It's what the kingdom of God produces in those who thirst and hunger for righteousness. It's the basis, it's the foundation of real, deep, satisfying joy that all of you are starving for. You're starving for it. I'm starving for it. Now notice here that we have two pairs of phrases. There's a negative and and a positive aspect. The first pair, it focuses on our belief, a creed. Okay? And the second pair centers on on how we live, our conduct, our deeds. John Stott addresses this, and here's here's what he says. Do we hope, either in our own lives or in our teaching ministry, to overcome error and growth in truth? To overcome evil and grow in holiness? Then... It is to Scripture that we must turn. For Scripture is profitable for these things. It is profitable for these things. So the purpose for what we've just talked about, or the goal, the end result, is so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good word. Now that word, The phrase that says, man of God, it can be used of any believer. Uh, Although here the thought may be especially of, again, Christian leaders. He's addressing Timothy. Having said that, I think the wider concern in the text is with the scriptures that are the source of divine wisdom that leads to salvation, and thus their application is probably to all believers here generally. I mean, think about it. What believer doesn't need this? What believer doesn't need to grow in this? Come on. Is it only leaders that need to live holy lives? No. Because no. we're all called to holiness. Why? Because our Heavenly Father is holy. Now note, he, you know, in the Scriptures, we're not called to be omnipotent for our Heavenly Father is omnipotent. 
Right? That attribute we can't share with God. But the holiness of God, He calls us to enjoy. He calls us to walk in. He calls us to share in that. What do you think Jesus meant by enter into the joy of your master? Think the joy of your master is debauchery and, and, and untamed pleasure, things that are totally abominable to God? No, the joy of the master is grounded in the holiness of God. It's grounded in his holiness. In that thing that there is no sin. But do you believe that? Do we believe it? So, so that the man of God or woman of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Now, this adequacy. None of us value skillless labor. Right? None of us appreciate a prop who doesn't know what the heck they're talking about and they're just winging it. Right? Right. None of us appreciate it when some preacher gets behind, you know, this lectern or whatever and has them prepared and, and you know, this, this person does not know what the heck they're talking about. They're just spinning a bunch of stories. They're not giving me substance at all. None of us, if we're paying attention and we're hungry for the truth and we want to grow, none of us say, yeah, that's great. We reject it and rightly so. Because it is not profitable to us. It is not profitable for us growing in the kingdom of God, becoming more like Christ, walking in the holiness of God. It keeps us from doing it, actually. And in fact, I, I have to say this. Years ago, when we came to this church, I knew that my growth and my family's growth for loving God, I knew that the core instrument for that to happen was that the Word of God was being faithfully uh, dealt with. Not perfectly. I don't think any human being you know, has all the goods. But faithfully, where it's like week in and week out, you know, come around the Word of God. We, we actually hear what God has to say. And we say, wow. Yes, amen. Sometimes wowed. Other times, okay. Sometimes disgruntled. But always over... It's like trying to figure out... What is the Word of God saying? I don't know if I agree. Well, oh, I do agree. It's, it's all around the Word of God. All around the Word of God. And if there's anything I would say to a believer looking for a church, look for a church that the Word of God is central to everything that is done. It's not going to be done perfectly. There may be things you don't understand. There may be things you do understand. There may be things you don't like. It doesn't matter. The point is, is that the leadership understands they're under the authority of the Word of God and they're going to give an account to God for how they deal with you and that's why they take getting behind that pulpit and presenting the Word of God really seriously. So when it deals about being adequate, it talks about having a, 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 a capability, being proficient, able to meet all demands, having all that is necessary to meet whatever demands are put upon a woman or a man, so entirely sound and whole, even suitable. When we're talking about you being adequate, it means you've got the stuff you need. Are you ready for this? To fulfill the call God has given to each and every one of you. That should encourage you. And if you're one of the people, of the many people that say, well, I don't know what God has called me to do. Well, you need to go to what's general first. You know what's general? To every believer. What has God said to every believer? So you look at the one another's. What has God called the one another's to do? We're to bear with one another. We're to love one another. We're to pray for one another. We're to admonish one another with the word of God, with all wisdom, right? So there's definitely some things that we're all called to. We're all called to make disciples of the nations. Do you know what that means? That means that you need to know the gospel in such a way that you can, in a conversational way, give the core of it. And you make it your own, but the substance of the gospel, you know how to give it. And, and, and it takes some work, right? It takes work because each and every one of us have a different sphere of influence. 
And so w whether it's little, little children or older, older people or, you know, people in between here, it doesn't matter. They're people creating God's image and they're going to go into eternity. And you and I have a big role to play in where they will be. So, maybe adequate for what? Equipped for every good work. That word equipped is not something that you do. This is pretty cool. This is something that's done to you. In the language of the New Testament, this is something that's done to you at a point in time that has long-lasting results. And what is it that does that to you? It's the Word of God that does it to you. It's the Scripture that does it to you. It's the training, all this stuff. It's the Word of God that does it to you and to me. The Word of God, like one of my friends says, you know, I, and he's a very well-read person, says, you know, the Bible is the only, only book I've ever read and cried over. It's the only book that has an effect on me unlike any other book. There's something different about this book. It's God-breathed. It's God-breathed. So this word, equipped, first of all, it's something that's done to you, but it means to be completely supplied. You got skill, you got all the goods you need. You got everything you need. It's a word that's used in Ephesians. The equipping of the saints. It's a medical term to be equipped. To set a broken bone, set it in place. What do we know about bones that are broken and that, that heal one more time? What do we know about that area in the bone? It's thicker, it's stronger. It's stronger. Isn't it interesting? And we, we hear this, but it's like our bodies declare it. The things that are our greatest weaknesses, the things that are our greatest weaknesses, and we all have weaknesses, and, and, and I think some of us really have a hard time with them. I mean, they, they really, really, they can be depressing. But, God's word can heal that brokenness that you have and that could be your greatest strength to offer to others to bring equipping to bring healing into their brokenness into their lives so goal of the word is to be adequate equipped for every good work and this every good work every good work is affected by what? the instrument of what? scriptures and so every good work points to the effects that we realize through the instrument of the scriptures which thoroughly prepare not only church leaders for their task but also every church member every church member and it prepares us to walk in truth and it prepares us to walk in holiness now I want, I want don't miss this Christianity is a knowledge tradition it is also an ethical tradition we're not just called to know we are called to walk in what we know and right here what the scripture does is it teaches us to train our minds to think clearly about the gospel and about reality as it is and it also trains us to ethically morally walk in holiness walk as Christ walked now, I don't know about you I do know about me and I need to grow in both of those areas because I must confess, as many years as I've read the Word and I've studied, there's so much I don't know. And there's a lot of things, I, 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 they, they puzzle me. But I'm continually adding, I'm not where I want to be in my holiness. Are you? I mean, really, are you? Do you think you really have arrived? 
if you, if you do think that and you're feeling pretty good about yourself, okay, when, when, when the bottom just falls out and you just feel like, what in the world's going on? Remember, God is merciful, God is good, and He's there to pick you up. He is. He is. So I don't know if I'm going to end this way or not. I'm debating on it because, you know, I've been called very negative in my family. I'm going to tend to be a negative guy. Always bringing up all the negativities, right? So, but you know what? You know, my re- one response is somebody's got to make you guys look positive. You know, so I'll take that burden on myself and go, whatever, no big deal. If somebody's got to be the bad guy, I'll be the bad guy. Is there a famine of God's word in the land? I think so. I do. How do I know? Just open up your ears. Look at what people are saying. Look at who is popular. Look at people that are, have a, a tremendous gathering around them. And I'm not saying that there aren't good people. But there are a lot of people that a lot of people are drawn to that, that are supposed to be gospel people that there's no gospel there. Why? Because they don't get it. They don't get this book. And it doesn't mean they didn't grow up in church all their life. They did. They still don't get this book. Still don't get it. They're not skilled. They're clowns. They are court jesters. That's a little harsh. Not nearly as harsh as it will be when they face God one-on-one. And God tells them, what did you do with my word? And what in the world were you thinking? You think I'm harsh? Read the Gospels. But you think Jesus is nice all the time? You're not reading the Gospels. If you only think that God is a God of love, and He is, and thank God, and that His mercy endures forever, thank God, and it does. But He's also a God who is a just judge. Whose wrath is on those that do not believe the gospel. And that's why we need to get the gospel out. Christian, what I I guess I want to try to communicate to you is that our Father in heaven, God the Father, Son, and Spirit are not one-dimensional in their attributes. And when James says, let not many of you become teachers, brothers, because we're going to receive the stricter judgment... What, you think that's going to be a pleasurable experience? I mean, what are the tears that are being wiped away? You ever think about that? I am very secure in the love of God. I am. By the mercy of God, I know He loves me. You know how I know He loves me? Because He's shown it to me in the Word. Because He said in Romans, My gosh, if He gave His Son, what more can He do? I'm convinced. I'm loved, period. But that doesn't mean I get a free ride and it doesn't matter how I live and that my choices don't have consequences. I mean, think about this. Those of us who have had parents and when we knew we were in trouble, right? You know that feeling you get like you're just going, oh no. That's with an imperfect creature we're going to face the I am the perfect one and you got to understand this when there's a manifestation of God in the Bible people are not all chipper they're not they're never chipper they are freaking out they say I'm undone or they're so scared, like Peter. Uh, Jesus, what do you want me to do? You want me to put up three tents, one for you, one for Elijah, one for Moses? Our God is a consuming fire. And those who are trite with this word and his people, he will deal with. So this is a serious thing. 
So me calling them clowns is nothing compared to the reality of facing God because they've been utterly disobedient. Do I think I'm better than them? No, not at all. In fact, I know I'm not. That's why I have no problem saying what I'm saying. That and that and that alone. This text that we just read, the reason we need to take heed is because of the source. And the source is God, the one true God. That's why it is, it's profit you can't measure. It's given so that we might be about the master's business as Jesus modeled for us. This word is to form the way we think and the way we live. Both in our congregations and in our families in our homes you've got to bring the word of God to bear on how you're doing your life at home mom and dad or mom or dad or single you've got to bring the word of God to judge the way you are living at home saint of God And you know what my prayer is? Here's my prayer. And this is why, if this is the last thing you ever hear from me, I'm just glad I was able to give you this. Because the goal of this is not a bunch of knowledge and, oh, look at me, look at... No, the goal of this is worship. The goal of this is worshiping God, knowing Him and enjoying Him and loving Him. That's the goal. I mean, the goal for me, for you guys hearing, is this. So that you might be able to say with the the psalmist, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all day long. It is so that you will see that there's nothing more valuable in this life than the Word of God. So that you would say, Your word to me is better than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Is the Word of God to you that? Is it really? That's why we're in this text. That's what I want to see in my life. That's what I want to see in your life. Because there is nothing greater. There is nothing greater. Throw away your damn phones. Turn off the computer. Turn off the TV. Shut down and get your noses in the book. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Lord, have mercy on us. Father, Lord, whatever was not from you, may it just go in one ear out the other. Whatever was from you, Lord, I pray that you would haunt us day and night. For those of us that think it's fine, we could go on a Christian walk and just be lazy and be indifferent to your word. We can't. We can't. Not if we're going to follow Jesus. Not if we're going to walk in the light as he is in the light. And so, Lord, I pray... I pray that you would take this word that was spoken and that you by your spirit would make it a reality in our lives. That you would make it a reality in our lives. And Lord, I I pray that you would make it a reality in our lives even if somebody didn't like the way it was delivered. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters who may have a hard time with, oh, I raised my voice. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters 
who maybe didn't like the way it was delivered, I ask that you would give him the wisdom to say what was true. Lord Jesus, I, I, I want to do what was true here. Forget about the way it was delivered. Lord, help me be a grown-up and help me listen to what was said. Because at the end of the day, that's all that matters. Was this true? Was it not? And so I pray this, Lord, in your name. Amen.